Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hello, and welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 16, Doppelgangland. And I just want to take a minute to pause and recognize that we are almost through Season 3. And I know we say this like every few episodes, but it just feels like we are breezing through this season. And I cannot believe that we are going to be in season four in just a few months. Like that just blows my mind. Well, it's insane. And I mean, even before we started recording, we were just talking about how much like the podcast has grown, not only just since the beginning, but also like since season three in general. Like it's not, obviously it's not the biggest podcast ever, but like to us, it's way bigger than we ever thought it would be. And I think it's just like so cool to see. And I feel like this season, it has a lot of meat in it. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like the reason why it's gone by so fast to us is because there's just every episode is exciting to talk about. All right. So Doppelgangland, this, I feel like this episode is a fan favorite. I feel like everybody really enjoys this one. It's just very different from the usual Buffy formula. It focuses on Willow, someone we, I feel like we haven't seen a whole lot of this season. Um, It's her first Willow centric episode. And I feel like it's long overdue looking at where she's at and what's going on in her life. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So written and directed by Joss Whedon, aired February 23rd, 1999. This episode is Whedon's fifth favorite episode, according to the last Sundown featurette on the complete seventh season on DVD box set. Um, And Joss is quoted as saying, because one willow is certainly not enough. Joss actually ended up writing this episode because he loved Vamp Willow so much from The Wish. Um, And I'm really glad he did because I think it's long overdue that Willow's had her own episode. Allison Hannigan listed Doppelgangland as her fourth favorite Buffy episode to shoot. She said, I was in the vampire Willow outfit and Alexis had some holy water and he made this noise like, and it just cracked me up. I had such a crush on him. (laughs) Noel Murray from the AV Club commented that the episode is terrific on a myriad of levels from the dialogue to the plot twists to the multiple spot on character moments, but mostly it's a chop drawer episode for the way it binds the Buffy verse together by demonstrating how adept the writing staff is at remembering everything they've done on the show before and reusing the elements that still have plenty of juice in there, which 100%, the way they just weave all the elements from past episodes is one of my favorite parts of the show for sure. So the title Doppelgangland comes from a mashup of Doppelganger and Gangland, which Gangland was a TV series that explored the history of some of America's most notorious gangs. And Doppelganger, so Wikipedia talks about how in fiction and mythology, a doppelganger is often portrayed as a ghostly or paranormal phenomenon and is usually seen as a harbinger of bad luck. Other traditions and stories equate a doppelganger with an evil twin or a mirror image or reflection. In the myths, it absolutely doesn't mean that one is all good and one and the other one is all evil. For instance, the generous one can be violent and the peaceful one can be greedy. It's just the idea that there are two sides of one whole. 
In modern times, the term twin stranger is occasionally used. The word doppelganger is often used in a more general and neutral sense and in slang to describe any person who physically resembles another person yet is not related to them. Um, Within media and literature, it's often used to describe the duality of human nature. Um, And a lot of people used to be very, very superstitious about it and still kind of are. Um, They often see doppelgangers as harbingers of death. So I thought this was kind of interesting. So the English poet Percy Shelley, which I don't think there's a coincidence that his name is Percy. I think Joss intentionally named the uh, basketball star Percy. Um, So he wrote a drama called Prometheus Unbound. It contains the following passage in Act One. And I quote, Ere Babylon was dust, the Magus Zoroaster, my dead child, met his own image walking in the garden, that apparition, soul of men, he saw. For know there are two worlds of life and death, one that which thou beholdest, but the other is underneath the grave where do inhabit, the shadows of all forms that think and live till death unite them and they part no more, which I feel like is a little on the nose for what happens in this episode. Um But it's really interesting to note that Percy drowned in the Bay of Spezia near Lerici, I'm probably totally butchered that, in Italy, on October 15th while staying at Pisa. His wife, Mary Shelley, an author and editor, wrote a letter to Maria Gisborne in which she relayed Percy's claims to her several weeks or months before, where he had said that he had met his own doppelganger. A week after Mary's near-fatal miscarriage in the early hours, Percy had had a nightmare about the house collapsing in a flood, and then a couple weeks later, he ended up drowning. So to them, it kind of perpetuated the idea that it was a harbinger of death and stuff, which a little eerie. Dang, that's intense. All I think about is the fact that Allison Hannigan mm-hmm. was on uh, How Much Your Mother yeah. Made like a whole running. <laughs> they had a running thing with doppelgangers. doppelgangers. Stripper mm-hmm. Lily. <laughs> yep, that's yeah. what I think of. Stripper oh, Lily, lesbian, Robin, um, uh, Mexican fighting wrestler, Ted. Uh, Barney had the, the OBGYN. He, had, he faked his doppelganger for a little bit, but it was the OBGYN. Yep. And then. Oh, that was so funny because Lily was like, no, no, I ain't falling. <laughs> 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 oh, that show is so irreverent. It's so funny. I don't think Marshall had one. No, he did because they found all five. I just can't remember what his was. He was the the mustache person on like the truck that would pass by. Oh, you're right. It was the um Telenova guy. Yeah. <laughs> that show. I have a love-hate relationship with it. Anyway, yeah. okay. So we talked before about how this episode is hugely important for Willow's arc. Um, it's also a huge metaphor for Buffy's doppelganger or shadow self, Faith, which is something I never caught until I was watching it this time. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this really is a huge metaphor for what Buffy's going through, um, which I really like whenever the show di- does that. Since this season is all about shadow selves, it's interesting that Joss would choose to have Willow kind of be her own shadow self, which is really funny because you have Wesley and Giles and then Faith and Buffy. um, And then here you have Willow's – it's almost like Willow's her own worst enemy, which I thought was very, very fitting. Oz and his werewolf side. Angel and Angelus. Xander misogyny. Xander's misogyny. (laughs) No, it's supposed to be opposite of him. It's like Xander and feminism. <laughs> in a feminist show, you know, works. I think they had Larry kind of being that in at least it was in um Phases. In Phases. I keep wanting to say Pangs, not Pangs. Um 
Yeah. And then I think they've also contrasted him in like even in Beauty and the Beast. It was kind of like Xander and all the positive male figures in a lot of the episodes, which is really funny. So Mark Fields in his book, Myth, Metaphor, and Morality wrote, because it's a point of view episode, we see the world as Willow does. This means that everyone is constantly ordering her around and she's never able to assert herself. It also means that Willow's still a little unhappy about Buffy's rejection of her and bad girls and thinks that bad girls get to have all the fun without the responsibility she's being saddled with, which is really funny because that's something that Buffy kind of felt like in the episode, Bad Girls. So this episode is Willow's exploration of what it would be like to be bad for a change. In essence, this is Willow's bad girl episode, which is funny. Um, Anya also kind of contrasts Willow in this episode. She feels out of place and uncomfortable in her body and where she's at, and that's a little bit of a reflection of how Willow feels as well. Um, Passion the Nerd made this um, statement, which I kind of agree with. He says, the only weakness of this episode is that it undercuts the tone of the season a bit. Um, and he talks about how like it's good for Willow's character, but it's a bit jarring to go from watching Faith have a mental breakdown and almost kill Xander to just hanging out with the gang and taking psych tests. It feels a bit anticlimactic. What did you guys think of this episode? I mean, I love this episode. I think it's I think it's funny and it's I like that they that like I mean I hate Joss, but I do like that he recognizes <laughs> Which characters are useful to come back? Yeah. I don't know. I think I like that him and other writers in the show pay attention to what works well and what just makes a more cohesive show. And we have Anya come back, which is such like a one-off character that you're like, okay, like I'm here for it. Like did not see her coming back. Mm -hmm. Like it's just interesting. I feel like we really have not gotten to see a lot of Willow this season. Yeah. And so I do agree that the placement of it is a little weird, but I also am like, you know what? I, I'm ready to see more Willow. Yeah, we'll allow it. It's good. I do think that this episode should not have been placed exactly after Consequences. If yeah. they if it was switched with the next one, I feel like that would make a lot more sense. If this was after Bad Girls, I'd be like, okay, sure. But I think since it's right after Consequences, like Faith almost murdering Xander and like trying to like rape him, like is like such extremes. And then to go from that into like oh, she's back in, like, the library being trained, even though, like, it's obviously everyone's, like, on edge and awkward. Like, I don't think that that would, like, be even just, like, a normal thing that she walks in. Everyone's like, hey, you know what I mean? Like, it, it feels yeah. a little bit too fresh. Yeah, especially, too, because we know that she went over to side with the mayor. And so I think that I always think the anticipation is, is that, oh, she's no longer hanging out with the Scoobies. They're just going to find out she's with the mayor now. But then yeah. to see her with them, you're like, Wait a minute. And then you realize she's playing double agent, but it just feels very whiplashy. So we have this opening scene that's supposed to be a mausoleum, even though it looks just like a set that we've normally seen. They just throw like rugs and curtains and <laughs> candles and essence in there to make it look creepy. Uh, we see this like kingpin version of like a demon talking to Anya, telling her that um, I think it's a little bit like. Oh, it's been like a few months probably since the wish happened, but he's like, you know, reprimanding her now, which is funny. Um, and we get this little dialogue from her. I love when the show does this where they they kind of give you insight to a character without making it feel forced because she's like trying to defend herself. So Anya says, for a thousand years, I yielded the powers of the wish. I thought. I thought ruin to the heads of unfaithful men. I brought destruction and chaos. I was feared and worshipped across the mortal globe. And now I'm stuck at Sunnydale High. 
And I think it's cool because we sit there and we're like, oh, okay, so she's been doing this for a thousand years. We get a little bit of insight, but then mm-hmm. we're also understanding where she's at in this current time in the show. And I'm flunking math. I was like, relatable on True relatable. though. I mean, <laughs> if she hasn't been like doing anything in education for a thousand years. And they drop her I would forget grade. everything. Yeah, uh-huh. she's probably struggling. Poor thing. Needs yeah. a tutor. <laughs> Gotta call up Willow. I'm like, this girl has so much built up anger this whole episode. I get it, girl. If <laughs> You don't know anything to do with math. It's also funny because it's like we're getting this random like backstory to a character that was such a one-off. You're like, okay. Technically the villain of the wish. <laughs> yeah. You're like, dang, I would be mad too. I'd be a villain too if I had to go through math again. I love that she's just been hanging around the high school this mm-hmm. entire time. <laughs> just being miserable. Yeah. <laughs> Not being able to do anything. She's in and the back I love of the his, class like mumbling. His response is like, this is no concern to us. You will live out your mortal life and die. <laughs> I know. <laughs> dang. <laughs> you are dismissed. Goodbye. Literally. I think that this interaction with Buffy and Willow is one of my favorites of season three. I feel like we see them very naturally. Friends are very sweet and very like tender with each other. Buffy has some like really good dialogue here that's really telling with where she's at emotionally as well. Uh, but or Willow's floating a pencil. Buffy's doing crunches, and then Willow says that in order to float, it's all about emotional control. And then they start talking about faith. And then Willow says competition is normal and healthy. And then Buffy combats it with, well, she's had it rough, different circumstances that could be me. And then Willow says, no way, some people just don't have that in them. What do you guys think about that dialogue? I, I honestly, I agree with Buffy. I think it's just like, to like to a certain degree, I do think that Faith and stuff has kind of chosen a lot of the path that she's on. But I also do think that it's like, in a way, like Buffy did get set up with a better situation than Faith did. So it's like, I I still do think that if, Paths were switched, Buffy would have chosen the right thing. But it's like, I mean, we even see in uh, The Wish what Buffy was like when she didn't have the opportunity that she did in Sunnydale to be set up with a good watcher and have friends and stuff. And she was a lot more cold and callous. And I think that that's kind of the situation with Faith. I do think that there is a case of a ripple effect because we see three different ways that Buffy could turn out in the Sunnydale or Sunnydale, Sunnydale. But in like the Sunnydale lore, like world, we saw how Buffy was before she came to Sunnydale. And if she'd stayed there, she would have been just like a Cordelia-esque character. And then if she went to Cleveland, she would have been that Buffy. And she would have had that set of issues. And then when she came to Sunnydale, she became this Buffy. I think it's like where you're at kind of shapes you. Um, Your parents, your school, your friends, and like all that shapes you in such a, a formative time in your life, like high school. And I think that Sunnydale obviously is the best Buffy, but I think that Sunnydale Buffy obviously would handle killing someone very differently because we saw that in Ted. So I definitely think there is a ripple effect in how your upbringing and what your life has been like. And I think that Faith is a victim of that. Is she still responsible for what she did? Absolutely. But I think there is a bone to throw at her for that. There is empathy for her because she's still a baby. She's still like a minor. She's still so young. This is the classic nature versus nurture question, which is almost impossible to answer. I think it's a little bit easier to answer within the scope of the Buffyverse because like you said, Tabby, we have instances of the wish. We even have like Kendra coming in who's supposed to be kind of an an example, a mirror of Buffy. It's interesting because I think Buffy recognizing that she is the healthier 
and I would say superior slayer because she knows her limitations and because she's had friends as like a checks check and balance. Um, and she has had privilege in having, you know, great parents or at least a great mother, um, and a great father figure in Giles, et cetera, et cetera. I think that she recognizes that's why she's been able to accomplish certain things and that's why she's where she's at in life. Um, and I really love that she doesn't lord that over faith, but recognizes it and it keeps her humble. However, it is a little bit hard to fully know who to side with in this argument with Willow versus Buffy in the sense that Willow is arguing for nature and Buffy's arguing for nurture. Buffy's saying, I would be faith if I had different circumstances. And Willow's saying, no, you are who you are because it's in your nature. It's who you are. Um, I feel like I'm not communicating very well today, but you guys get it. Joss has said many times that faith is who Buffy would never let herself be. So I think Joss is arguing actually more for Willow's side, saying that Buffy doesn't have it in her and could never be that. Um, and I think that's kind of what the show is trying to edge itself towards. Um, but then again, we don't truly know. So I don't know. I think that the writers recognize that Buffy could and would never be like Faith because of who she is. But I think the series tries to leave it a little bit more open-ended. Um, so all that, that's a really long way of saying I'm not really sure where I fall on it because I'd like to believe that Buffy could never get to that point, but I don't think there's enough evidence to swing either way, if that makes sense. It's a hard topic for sure, yeah. especially when you have mirror selves and like mirror partners and characters on shows. You're like, this is getting really convoluted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you trying to actually say to us right now? Yeah, I think the important takeaway is that Buffy recognizes that she could just as easily fall into the exact same things that Faith is falling into um, and that she is humble and is willing to help Faith. And I really like what you said, Tabby, about how Buffy is 100% Faith's advocate in all these scenes. She's advocated for her with Giles. Now she's advocating for her with Willow. And I think that people who say that Buffy never accepted uh, Faith and was jealous of her and didn't want her to be a part of her life because of that jealousy. I, okay. I was about no. to say, I was like, I going through this, especially there's parts that I feel like are a little uh, gaps in my knowledge. And one of them was like how Buffy treated Faith specifically. And I didn't think she treated her horribly, but I was like, I wonder like how much of an arm she like stretched out to her, you know? And mm-hmm. so like, even though we don't see a ton of that necessarily, I really do feel like the way that friends talk about you when you're not around tells you how much that they will do in the relationship to keep mm-hmm. you But I also – I don't think it's just about how Buffy talked about Faith. I think it's – she says all that to Faith and she also actively stands up for Faith and makes so many ways for Faith to come to her. And so it's like it's not just words. Like Buffy in every aspect really is fighting for Faith. And um, I think that that's what's so interesting and beautiful about Buffy is that it's like Faith, at this point, in most people's opinions, doesn't deserve the chances anymore. I think Buffy and Faith have, and it's being shown over and over again, Buffy and Faith have a connection that nobody else on this show has. I mean, I I love the connection that Buffy and Angel have for sure, but Faith and Buffy have a bond that 
even Angel can never understand because they're both slayers. They Mm -hmm. both understand each other on an intrinsic level. And so Buffy is able to advocate very well for Faith because she knows what she's going through. She knows the loneliness and the acceptance and the love and all that stuff that she longs for. Oh, okay. And then we go into Snyder's office. I Snyder, love where Percy. have you been, man? No, no, no. We're talking about Percy. No, no, I, no. Snyder. We, no, we literally haven't seen Snyder in episodes. Since Band Candy. I want to talk about Percy. I love okay, Percy. Okay, go ahead. I know you love Percy. <laughs> go ahead. I just like this episode. I just The dynamic between him and Willow is the funniest thing to me. The actor who played Percy is just like – he has like this like endearing – characteristic about him but then he's also just kind of like a jerk but he's also so funny at the same time he's so mis oh, i can't say that oh i can't say that <laughs> i tabby. hate sometimes i hate the non-spoiler version so much tabby i think you have a thing for the jocks who are kind of a little like or at least pretend to be dumb who are a little like misguided you like um was it Gage in Go Fish? I just like their dynamic with the characters. Not that I have the hots for them. Jeez. <laughs> She's saying that you have a soft spot for them, not that yeah. you're into them. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're like you kept talking about Gage, how sad you were that like he was like really sweet with Buffy and then like he ends up dying. It's and then because with Percy. all of the high school guys at Sunnydale High are literal douchebags in the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I see one that's like <laughs> funny and endearing I'm like please stay <laughs> we need more of you <laughs> I mean Percy's not great but he definitely gets no. better as time yeah, goes yeah. on sure I just think that he blends really well with Willow's character I think they're so funny yeah um, <laughs> this whole this whole interaction <laughs> I was dying you want us to breed <laughs> well and then the whole time Percy's not saying a word he's just sitting there chewing he's like he does not give a rat's you know he does not care at all um <laughs> He looks at Willow and says, you got the brains. He's got the fast break. And then they mentioned the swim team last year. It's funny that you mentioned that about Gage because they were like, oh, we need a winning year, <laughs> especially since what happened with the swim team last year. Bro, I need them not to mention that. That episode is traumatic. <laughs> I'm like, I don't need to know. You're like, I remember just fine. Thank you very much. Um, so this whole interaction, this whole scene feels very much like when Snyder was telling Willow that she needed to fudge the grades for Gage and the rest of the swim team and where he basically, Mm -hmm. um, threatens her. He also threatens her here again in this one without, you know, using words and stuff. And so I I really like that they're building on those themes and they specifically do mention Go Fish, I think because of that dynamic. Um, and so I think they're trying to show a, um, pattern of willow being manipulated or not manipulated but like being a pushover um and not being assertive and sticking up for herself well i think it's funny because last year they were like oh fudge the grades but this year they're like okay we'll have someone else tutor her but then it's like you think about it and you're like doesn't willow do a law on campus or if you're gonna have a student do it it's they have to like volunteer yeah, exactly. They're not going to just be like, hey, you, go go help the athlete, the star athlete over here. And then Snyder's like, we know that you love teaching. I'm like, yes, that's because a teacher died. Thank you very much. But that's because she you was forced, forced her to teach. Yeah. <laughs> no, Snyder, you love to have her teach, not Willow over. I mean, I think Willow did enjoy it at, at times, but like not being forced to do it. I'm sure that was very traumatic for her to have to like teach an entire class to peers when her favorite teacher died. Like that's traumatic. 
Snyder's whole thing of like, Rosenberg, it's time to give something back to the community. I know you want to help your school out here. We talked about this in Go Fish. It was very much the team player mentality. And that's a running theme throughout this season and throughout the show. And this whole rhetoric is something that the mayor has been pushing when he's talking about community and stuff. Um, And it shows how a leader influences and controls their community. And that can be either for good or for really bad. We jump to the library where Willow's talking to Buffy about it. And then she walks in. She's like, I just hate when people are such bullies and they just assume my time is theirs. And Giles is like, hey, Willow, can you look on the internet and um, spy on the mayor? And she's like, oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Willow. Well, I mean, it's also different because, A, that's actually for something useful. And B, he's asking, not telling her. Uh, I don't know. I felt like he was telling her. Also, I, I got to say, Sarah, Giles has a lollipop. <gasps> what? No. Oh, he's sexualized and I'm 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 sexualizing him because he's a lollipop. This whole episode is through Willow's point of view, so <laughs> we know she has a crush on him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just kidding. No. Yeah. I mean, come on. Everybody has lollipops. Nope, only people who want to be sexualized. <laughs> <laughs> Which is gross because also the connotation with lollipops is children. Yeah, the so Lolita effect. Let's, yeah, let's dive into that, guys. <laughs> no, let's not. <laughs> Leah's so funny to look at right now because she's like cahoot. Burritoed? <laughs> I don't even know what's the... Cocooned? Cocooned. I was like, cahoon. I'm like, what am I trying to say? <laughs> Cocooned in her bed right now. <laughs> her Just her head is peeking out. <laughs> it's cold in the room and it's daylight savings. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what did you guys think of Faith's outfit in this episode? So like, cute. It's cute, but it's also so much lighter, and mm-hmm. her look is so much softer she, than I we've think seen before. I put that down. I, I think that she's trying to play a part, yeah. and I think now that she is like with the mayor, I think that she's trying to act as normal – in quotes as possible but she's not acting like faith like even when like buffy was walking by and she like awkwardly like touched her arm and was like good luck you're like girl you didn't do this beforehand you could just be your normal self no one would think anything i i kind of read it as faith doesn't know herself this episode Mm. she she's kind of like almost she's not almost she is betraying the gang she just kind of made a huge life decision like she doesn't really know where she fits in places. Like, I think it's just kind of faith is out of place and she's trying not to look like it. I feel like, I mean, I know we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but I kind of feel like how they're handling faith in this episode is how they should have handled it from the start before things ex- escalated. How they're like, hey, like, we're going to just keep a little bit closer of an eye on you. We're going to do some evaluations. We're going to do some, you know, tests. We're basically going to just like incorporate you in the Slayer training, all that other stuff. Um, and it feels a little bit too little too late at this point. And I don't really know what everyone's thinking. Like, oh, we're just going to like hang out with her and hopefully she doesn't murder anybody else. You know, like what? <laughs> and we jump straight into the mayor buys her like a little apartment, which is That ain't so little, sweet. dude. That's a pretty big apartment. Oh, yeah. Well, that's like a, a very nice apartment. Yeah. Um, but it's like fully furnished and she's like so happy. Like I was watching the scene. I was like, oh, like I've never seen her like this genuinely happy since she's come in. Yeah, I agree. I feel like this is the most joyful passion. The nerd talks about it too, that we've seen her before. Also, it's really interesting because I feel like a lot of the men in Faith's life have sexualized her. Totally. Um, And I think that she wields, we've talked about it before, she wields her sexuality as a weapon. Um, And in this scene, the mayor shuts that down immediately. And I think Faith is comfortable in that arena because that's what she's used to. But by him saying like, no, 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 I'm I'm not – I'm a family man. I'm not comfortable with that dynamic. Um, I think it's 
reassuring to faith because the mayor yeah. sees this that side like sees the I will say evil in quotes the evilness in faith or at least like what she's doing is not great and he's still like accepting her and like actually rewarding her with stuff and so I think faith feels the most comfortable around him than with any other character we've seen. Passion the Nerd talks about how their dynamic works because they are reflections of each other. He says, In this season, we've watched Faith struggle for a connection and stumble due to her own trust issues as well as some missteps by the people around her. You could see her reaching for love and connection but unable to break past those barriers. But the mayor knows she's duplicitous. He sees all sides of her. She can be herself. It may be evil, underhanded, and unhealthy, but their relationship feels honest. And I think she reflects his own dichotomy. The mayor is evil with a sweet side, and Faith is sweet with an evil side, which I thought was really well said. Mm. Well, I think it's just in Faith's mind, I think she can justify a lot of things because she's like, well, the mayor is the one who's protecting me. The mayor is the one who cares about me. So therefore, the things that he's doing are good for me. Right. She feels accepted and like no one's going to judge me for being who I am. Uh, it's really interesting because we see Faith kind of trying on the bad girl persona here, like uh, with the mayor. And it's very, very similar to Willow later on in the episode trying on the bad girl persona as well through her doppelganger. Um, I mean, at this point, Faith isn't fully bad. We see her wrestle with killing Buffy and she's uncomfortable with the mayor's suggestion. And so I think that shows that Faith isn't completely gone yet. And then Oz. Haven't seen Oz in a while. With this interaction is so sweet. I know. Oh my gosh. She, every time Oz is on the screen, I'm just like, oh. I feel like this is the most Oz we've gotten in a while in this yeah, episode. Yeah, it, it is. And he yeah. has his dark hair. I, that's my favorite look of his is when he has like the really dark brown. It makes his eyes black. look really green. Mm-hmm. Like they look really good. Um, he mentions that he had a gig in Monterey. Uh, Willow said that she didn't know about it. And he just was like, oh, I assume that you didn't want to go because of school. And she, and then she reads it as like, a, oh, everyone thinks I'm boring. And then he goes, mm-hmm. radical interpretation of the text. <laughs> okay. What did you guys think of Willow's outfit? Like the pink outfit that she wears for the rest of the episode? Because I feel like it's probably the willowiest outfit that we've ever seen on her. I also think same thing with Willow. Not Willow. Pfft. Um, same thing with Faith where it's trying to contrast like kind of Faith's normal look. I think it's supposed to contrast Vampire yeah. Willow because she's wearing mm-hmm. like red and black and she's like corseted and it's pants and it's very like leather sexy and all this and, yeah. stuff and leather. Whereas like I feel like with Willow it's like a cute little skirt and a fuzzy pink sweater. Like it's really supposed to be showing yeah, a big contrast. daisies on it and yeah, yeah, totally. We find out that Oz is playing at the bronze later on tonight. That will come into play. Oh, I will lock that away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Outside in the courtyard, uh, Willow runs up to Percy to kind of talk to him about his paper. He's supposed to write a research paper on one of the Roosevelts. Do we even know which Roosevelt it is? Nope. Nope. And Percy doesn't either, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't. (laughs) He blows her off, tells her to do it for him. He says, just type it up and put my name on it. And he's like, oh, but don't type uh, very good because that's a dead giveaway. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Which is smart. (laughs) Buffy and Xander come up. They called her old reliable because they didn't take notes from a class beforehand. Um, and then she gets really hurt by that phrase as well, which I I get where she's coming from. It's like if you're hearing this over and over again on the same day and you're like being forced to do someone else's homework and you're like, I don't want to be doing this. I'm saving the world every night. Like I'd be very frustrated as well. 
It's interesting because, I mean, we talked about this, but Willow has had a really rough string of episodes the past yeah. few, like, Bad Girls and Consequences. Um, everyone has expectations of her, and she wants to be valued for herself and for the contributions that she can bring. Um, and she's like, it's not all of who I am. Um, and I think this is kind of a continuation of verification of what I was saying about her crying in the bathroom. I Again, I don't think that her crying in the bathroom was specifically because of Xander, even though I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But I think Willow is just feeling incredibly left out. And I think she's been down for a while and the whole faith in Xander thing just added to it. Um, and I think there's a, probably a part of her that thinks that if she wasn't herself, that if she was more of a bad girl, that maybe Xander would be attracted to her, maybe – Buffy would let her go out and fight a little bit more. Um, and then Snyder wouldn't want her to help with Percy. Maybe she wasn't so reliable. She wouldn't be forced to do all this stuff. And it's so funny because this is a lot of what Buffy was feeling in Bad Girls when she's like, I'm the one being responsible and yet Faith gets out of everything. Uh, so I just really love the continuation of this theme. And then Buffy runs up and like apologizes to her. Like Buffy is just like such a good friend in this episode. Um, and then Willow does like the whole thing that Oz did for you. Yes. Like, she's like, I need to storm off. You're kind yeah. of ruining my moment. Um, and then we see her in the hallway and Anya goes up to her. She has a project or a spell and uh, Willow says, oh, is it dangerous? She's like, oh, no. She's like, well, can we pretend it is? Which is funny because at the very end of when everything goes astray, she's like, Magic is dangerous. It's not to be toyed with. Like, girl, a second ago you asked and pretended like it was dangerous. Right. Well, I think Willow is wanting to do something different because she's trying to prove something to herself and to other people. But when she actually gets a taste of it, she's like, oh, I don't know if this is actually what Mm. I want. Well, and I mean, we even saw in the conversation with Oz, she doesn't want to be boring. Like this whole episode was kind of like her feeling like she's boring and like no one wants to take her out on like fights and like no one wants to have sex with her. No one wants like besides Oz, but just like, girl, you literally have the best guy in the whole show. Like, please pay attention to him. But like, I think it's just like one of those things where it's like, she's feeling unwanted because she feels boring. Yes. She thinks it has something to do with her. And so I think that she's like, Oh yeah, I want to break rules. I want to do this. I want to boo. But then like when she actually get there, gets there, she's like, Oh, maybe not. But then she also realizes, I mean, we'll get to it. She gets to that point and she recognizes, Oh, there was nothing wrong with me in the first place. Like I can be confident and self-assured in who I am. And I don't have to put on a persona of someone that I'm not or something that I'm not. So we know that Anya is trying to find her necklace because we know what happened in the wish, but no mm-hmm. one else knows what happened in the wish. Um, I love how she had to draw the necklace. Yeah, she like painted it. Looked like she took a lot of time to do that. <laughs> and then we see a little recap of the wish that, but not Buffy. I keep wanting to call her Buffy because I'm so used to Buffy being the main person in an episode. Um, that Willow sees, and then the spell doesn't get fully fulfilled. And then Willow was like, "What was that?" And then she could tell something weird was going on. And I do feel bad for Willow here too because like Anya's being so rude. She yeah. like calls her like an idiot child and then Willow decides to leave because she has to do someone else's homework. It took me a very long time to figure out what exactly happened in that moment, but it was the sand that fell on Willow's hand, not on the plate, which is why doppelganger Willow came into being and came pulled from. Because I was always mm-hmm. like, wait, why was it specifically? Was it because Willow was doing the spell with her? But it's because the sand fell on her hand while they were doing the spell, which I was like, okay, you guys need to hold your hands a little bit farther apart if like you need the sand to fall onto the plate. But anyway, nitpicky, well, I think it, I think it was supposed to be the point that she was too preoccupied with all those visions that she yeah. didn't move her hand away, 
which makes yeah. sense because if they're trying to grab something from that world, if all the sand landed on the plate, then it would have been the necklace. Well, but I also think it's supposed to show that they're both kind of inexperienced. Yeah. I think it's kind of supposed to show that it's like Willow really has no idea what she's doing. And I think Anya, like, I mean, we don't really, we didn't get much backstory, but it didn't seem like she was doing much magic without her, like, little pendant. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of showing they're both like, A, they're both stressed. Yeah. And B, for different reasons. And B, it's also just like, I think they're both a little inexperienced. Yeah. And then we see Vamp Willow yeah. wake up in the same warehouse, looks exactly the same in an alternate universe, which we've never That's seen before weird. in this universe. I was like, what in the world? Where is this even supposed to be? And then she's walking the streets, like eerily looking at everything. The way that Allison Hannigan like changes all of her mannerisms and her head mm -hmm. kind of slants down as mm -hmm. like Vampire Willow, which is an interesting like character trait that she had for her. So we mentioned this in the spoiler section, but this whole sequence where Willow or Vamp Willow is walking down through all of the the alleyway and through the um, town of Sunnydale or whatever, it's um, supposed to be a shot-by-shot re-representation of Cordelia walking down the Broadway or the boulevard in The Wish. Um, and it's actually really cool. I'll put it on the Instagram like where they show them side-by-side, side, but it's pretty similar. It's kind of cool. Well, and then the contrast of like – Cordelia walking down the street and no one's there. Yes. And then Vamp Willow walking down and everyone in the town seems to be there. Yep. And they both end up at the bronze or near the bronze at least and it's just radically different. Yeah. Speaking of the bronze, this girl who's singing, this song is fire, not gonna lie, but her hair, I was so distracted. Yeah. This is um, Kay's Choice, Virgin State of Mind. Um, the song is really interesting. So from Music, Sound, and Silence, the song does not feature on any of Kay's Choice's albums, suggesting it may have been specifically written for Buffy. Starting with a recording of children playing in a schoolyard, the wavering sound of a synthesizer slash harmonium emerges evoking a mix of childhood memories and psychedelia, perhaps conjuring association with the Beatles' Strawberry Fields. Over the top of this introduction to Virgin State of Mind, a deep female voice emerges singing a wordless melodic line, now also a defining stylistic feature of gothic music. Used to accompany Willow's evil doppelganger as she arrives in the bronze in this episode, the darkly surreal lyrics of Virgin State of Mind, there's a key where my wonderful mouth used to be, suggests this androgynous, murderous vampire may be a dark reflection of gentle, insecure Willow's own nature, which is really, really cool to think about. The lyrics, if you listen to them, are talking about someone who's trapped inside of their own head and they finally break out and become their own person, which is really interesting. Dang. Wish I could say I paid that much attention to the song. <laughs> I loved it. I was like, I add that to my Spotify playlist. I was like, this is fire. I just love like the mirroring of anytime there's like a creepy-esque villain in the show, they always come in and just like observe in the bronze. Yeah. The, why do they always go to the bronze? <laughs> That'd be so – well, it's a feeding area, I feel like, because everyone's just kind of crowded and you can easily grab someone outside. Tension. Well, but I also <laughs> feel like can't, can't vampires like smell like really well? Yeah, the pheromones. I feel like it's like uh, – yeah, I feel like it's like a large group of people – late at night and it's loud and you can like smell them they're sweaty so they're probably like whoa leah whoa this is a kid's show no just kidding they're sweaty no kids don't know that people got sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, like it i think in the harvest and in welcome to the Hellmouth, they specifically mentioned that the bronze is like a good feeding ground because you have a bunch of horny teenagers <laughs> i think this would be so fun as like an actor being like 
one character for forever and then having to like or being able to kind of flip the switch and then as the same character that you're playing, but also the shadow side of the character you're playing. So she is like so Willow, but she's Vamp Willow, which is such a fun concept as an actor. I feel like that'd be so fun to like walk in and like act like the villain for an episode, but you're still somehow your character at the same time. That's so fun. Well, right. Well, Allison Hannigan plays four different iterations of this character because she's got mm-hmm. Willow then she's got Vamp Willow. Then she's got Vamp Willow pretending to be Willow. And then she's got Willow pretending to be Vamp Willow. So it's like really fun. I feel like they really uh, like the directors and stuff really started to notice that like Allison Hannigan can act. And so they're like, let's give her all the rules. Yeah. Yeah. So Vamp Willow kind of bumps into Percy or he bumps into her and he's like, Rosenberg, what are you doing? Trick-or-treating. I think it's so funny when people call each other by last names. It can be either, either be like endearing or just kind of like demeaning. And he's like, does he even call her Willow? They always have the jocks do it because they're like too cool to call them by their first yeah. name. <laughs> or they act like they don't actually know them by their first name. They just know them by the last name. Like half the time, I'm going to only know people's first name. How am I going to know your last name? especially in high school. He's like, till we graduate, I own your ass. And she goes, bored now, which is what we've all been waiting for. And then Mm -hmm. tosses him across the bronze and then walks over there and picks him up by his like jaw and starts choking him. I'd be horrified if I were Percy. I just like thinking about this through like Percy's perspective. He's like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> well, could you imagine like the like little Willow just being like, okay, I'm going to teach you. And then like you see her like in a club somewhere and she's like literally like choking you like as the strength of like 10,000 men. You're like, what on earth? And I think what does this too is the fact that she's doing it in front of everyone. I think if yeah. it was like they were outside and she did it, he'd be like, what the hell are you trying to do? But right. it's like in front of everyone. So he's like, wow, this girl has a lot of gall to do this in front of everyone. Well, the hilarious part is we know that he goes back home immediately and writes the report. So he just, I <laughs> he leaves imagine. early. He like runs straight home and is like, which person about this? I don't know. She might kill me if I don't do it. So he does both of them. And he has like the bibliography and everything. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. <laughs> And then Xander comes in, tells him to get out. Immediately thinks that Percy's the problem, not Willow. <laughs> I mean, I would too. Uh, if it's like a jock was like beating up on like like tiny Willow that everyone loves, I'd think the same thing. Uh, Vampire Willow thinks it's Vampire Xander. I forgot that that was a thing. And like starts touching him all weird. And she's like, he's like, uh, Willow, this is verging on dirty touching. Don't want to fall back on old habits. I'm really glad that they chose to bring Vamp Willow back and not Vamp Xander. Vamp Sender, I actually think he did a really good job. I feel like that'd be really cool to see the dynamic of both of them. But if you're going to bring one of them back, for sure, Vamp Willow. I feel like that would have hurt Xander's self-esteem for the rest of the show. Yeah, what little there is left. (laughs) (laughs) Leah's under her little blanket cocoon over there like, screw (laughs) Xander! (laughs) No, I'm just saying, like, if we're going to pick between the two, like, Vamp Willow was way more of a contrast than Vampire Xander. And yeah, so I agree. Like, she's way more of an interesting pick anyways. Yeah, 100%. Like Xander is how I would imagine Vamp Xander to be. So it's not really that interesting. But the fact that like Vamp Willow is so opposite to normal Willow, it's very like, oh. Especially yeah. since we have that little like like comment from Angel later on that kind of implies that like Mm -hmm. the personality kind of bleeds over. It's very interesting. You're like, oh, does Willow have this darkness in her? Right. 
Also, I got to say, shout out to whoever did the hair for this episode. Everybody's mm-hmm. hair looked so freaking good. Even Xander's. I was kind of like, whoa. Like, Xander actually looks pretty good in this episode. And then Buffy's hair, it just like is curled and styled. Even Faith's, Willow's hair, it just – all of it was really good. Oh, and then what Vamp Willow says to Buffy, she's like, I don't like you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Willow, I'm sorry about today. You know how my foot likes to live in my mouth. But you really didn't have to prove anything. Again, like Willow says something like very mean to Buffy, but she responds with, you don't really have to prove anything. Like very like reassuring and sweet. Like Buffy's just on a whole other empathetic level in this episode. Um, and then Vamp Willow leaves. They try grabbing her and she turns around as a vampire and their faces are just – Or Buffy. You just mm-hmm. know Buffy instantly takes that on herself. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the alleyway, some Vance corner, vamps corner Willow. Willow beats him up and starts breaking one of their fingers. And then they tell her that Willow's their master. Which I'm really curious to know what they were actually going to try to do. I Because the mayor sent them. Yeah. And it was because Willow was hacking into the files. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if they were going to try and scare her, if they were going to kill her. Like, I'm curious. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're going to try and bring her in and see what information she knows and she see if she told anyone else and then maybe kill her. I feel like that's what I would do. Yeah, I don't know. Um, then we go to the library and Buffy and Xander all shaken up. Joss said about this scene, he says, God, some of the funniest stuff we ever did was in that episode, but also the scene where they find out that Willow is alive and everybody everybody is so goddamn funny. It's Giles, Xander, Willow, and Buffy, the fearsome foursome. <laughs> <laughs> they all, like, the way that they all react and stuff is just so – it's funny, but it's also just so accurate and, dra- like, dramatic to each of their characters that it just kills me. Well, like, Giles goes, she is – she was truly the finest of all of us. And then Xander goes, way better than me. He's like, much, much better. <laughs> the little like subtle like dig at him. He's like, much better, Xander. <laughs> but you notice how Xander doesn't respond like, how dare you? He just kind of looks like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what you do when someone dies. You're not going to like pitch like this whole argument when someone's literally like dead. You're like, you know what? I'll fall on the sword this time. But I also think Xander th- actually is like, yeah, I think he really does think that Willow is better than yeah. him. Um, the script says that Giles is trying not to cry, and then um, and then it says Giles sadly nodding much much better. <laughs> <laughs> and then Buffy mentions she thinks it's their fault because they called her old reliable, and so she got herself killed. The Willow comes in. She's like, "What's going on? Jeez, who died? Oh God, who died?" <laughs> <laughs> I know, literally in Sunnydale, that's a very accurate reaction. <laughs> right. You're like, oh, hello, who died? And then you're like, oh, shoot, someone probably did die. <laughs> I oh, my okay. the One of my favorite things that Xander has ever done, he does right after this, he runs up with the cross and, and he, like, shakes, it. he <laughs> shakes it. Yes. He Gotta acts get as the if, juices flowing. Well, as if it wouldn't work the first time, he's like, hold on, wait a minute. And then shakes it and then puts oh, it back up God. again. <laughs> Oh, the comedic timing and everybody is so good. I just – it's so fun to watch. They all embrace her and she's all uncomfortable and then they like let go. And then Giles <laughs> runs in and gives her <laughs> I think this is the first time we've seen Giles like actually emotional. Yeah. Ever. Right. Well, except when Jenny helpless. died. But yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't really see him cry and helpless. But yeah. But he was oh, showing goodness. a lot of emotion. Yeah. 
there is just like a tenderness that Giles has with Willow that I just absolutely adore. It's so neat how they have made Giles and Willow's relationship and Buffy and Giles's relationship so two distinctly tender things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like the same relationship type with both of them. Like it feels like he has two daughters um, and he just treats them both with like the equal amounts of tenderness, but it's just a very different relationship and I, mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Then uh, Will's like, say, y'all didn't do a bunch of drugs, did you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh. And then Buffy's like, Giles, can you jump in and say something? He's like, something very strange is happening. And Santa goes, can you believe the Watcher's Council let this guy go? <laughs> the dialogue is just so snappy. Yeah, you can definitely tell Joss say, wrote this. I was about to say, for as much as I hate Joss, you can tell it's an episode written by him. He kind of sometimes writes like um, uh, Gilmore Girls. Oh, Amy and Sherman Palladino. Yes, very, very quick pace and very like it, it. almost feels like a natural conversation. Well, at least between the three of us, where it's like very like fast and all over the place. Well, it makes sense because Amy Sherman Palladino took a lot of stuff from Buffy. So, oh my gosh! Okay, and then, then we go to the bronze, and then Anya's trying to get a beer. She's like, "I'm eleven hundred twenty. Just give me a freaking beer." He's like, "ID." He just doesn't well, he's care. probably he's- so annoyed because they're all underage teenagers trying to get drinks yeah. all the time. And he's like, I hate this job. Gee, maybe you shouldn't have a bar that serves alcohol where a lot of underage kids like to hang out. You know, you're probably going to have a- that be a problem quite frequently. So Dingo ate my baby. They're going to be performing tonight. I love how they keep bringing Devin back. <laughs> I know. He's very consistent. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love how Angel pops up and he and Oz is like, hey, looking for Buffy? <laughs> well, it's so funny because Devin's like, man, we got to get a roadie. Other bands have roadies, like someone to help like mm-hmm. lift our, our stuff. Well, then, you know, Angel pops up and Devin's like, hey, man, how'd you like to be our roadie? And Angel says, less than you'd think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm really mad. I didn't know that I wanted an Oz and Xander pairing as much as I did until I saw this scene. And I was like, dude, they work like so well Their together. dynamics are very, very Oh, you Oz and Angel? You said Oz and Xander. Sorry, I meant Oz and Angel, yes. Yeah, well, my they mind work too, David. A- <laughs> I, I was on the same wavelength as you. Same thing. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, they work really well together. They're like the the soft supported, like supporting like boyfriends. Everyone talks about how boring Angel is and how he isn't like very comedic, but he's got a really dry sense of humor that works mm-hmm. really well with Oz's. Oz looks petrified. When Vamp Willow comes in, he looks like he's like frozen and he's like, get Buffy, do it now. And the angel leaves immediately. Yeah. This is Oz's version of panicking. Oh, for sure. Um, Devin comes up. He's like, dude, check out your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Like Devin, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> he's like, not the time right now, Devin. Yeah. Devin, no. Read the room, Devin. <laughs> Fear and pheromones <laughs> i think he's a little bit like shook but i think what really took the cake when she walks up to a girl named sandy um and then kind of like lures who are into like the middle of the dance floor and i was like her. genuinely creeped out by this yeah. part. it was like really creepy well so first she like licks her neck and then bites her and then oz like runs down but someone has to pull yeah. him back yeah, which is interesting because Oz has got to see that she's a vampire, but he's still trying to reason with her and still mm-hmm. trying to like look for the humanity inside of her, which is, a, I feel like, a repeated pattern we've seen with people with their loved ones who have turned vampires. Well, and then he goes, Willow, you don't want to do this. She says, I don't, but I'm so good at it. And he said, who did this to you? I think he's trying to process in the same time, too. I think Poor he's Oz. well aware that she's a vamp, but it's like 
it's one of those things where you know it, but I don't think you really That's absorbed so it. Like he's just trying to do his best. Mm-hmm. He holds it together really well. He maybe. does. I think when you're in the middle of a shock, I don't think like you're really in a stage ready to like cry about it and show a lot of emotion. I feel like I'd be the same if this happened. I think he's also connecting the dots too because, you know, Anya's talking about how he thinks you're the willow that belongs in this reality. You know, this isn't your world. And so you could see Oz back there going, okay, wait a minute. And I think that's when he's starting to realize, okay, this might not be my willow. Um, In the library, they're talking about Vamp Willow. Buffy mentions how (laughs) like – Willow's not a d- dominatrix, so obviously they're not the same person, you know, because one plus one equals two. She mentions the whole like her and Oz play Mistress of Pain every night. Giles looks so <laughs> uncomfortable. I think it's just funny that like Giles just becomes privy to so much information that you can tell he never wanted. Mm-hmm. He's like, like he's just there, he's like, guys, like I am still your teacher. <laughs> well, and then Xander's like, did anybody else just go to a scary visual place? And Buffy's like, oh yeah. And they flash over to Giles, who's cleaning his glasses, which he does when he like doesn't want mm-hmm. to see or hear something. And he kind of lifts them slightly, like, yeah, I got a, a really bad visual as well. <laughs> um, Angel comes in, he's like you can tell he's like really burdened with telling this to Buffy. He's trying so hard to be sensitive uh-huh. and I think it like hurts him too. It's so funny. You don't see how much Willow means to everybody until, you know, <laughs> she's dead. He looks over. He's like, hey, Willow, wait a second. I really feel like that dialogue, if it wasn't coming out of like David Briannis' mouth, could sound really cheesy, but he did it in a very believable way. I know I've mentioned this before, but I'm really loving the bits of personality we're starting to see come out of Angel because I feel like he's becoming more than just Buffy's boyfriend. Like he's actively involved in things. He's actually starting to make jokes. He's helping out with the fights. He's doing research. And I don't know. I just am like really, really loving him. I always have, but even more so now. He just feels more like a full character instead of just Buffy's love interest. Yeah, agreed. They all decide not to call on Faith to take care of this on their own. Um, They're still not sure what they want to do with Vamp Willow if they catch her. They all walk into the hallway and Willow says that she forgot something. I'm so surprised they did not have like Xander or Buffy go with Willow. I'm like, what? You guys don't split up. Yeah. It also is a little weird that she doesn't say what she needs to go back and get. Like we never really know. I don't know. It's kind of – it just feels like complete plot convenience, but whatever. It works. It's it's fine. She walks in and then Vamp Willow grabs her mouth behind her. I really feel like the the split screen or however they do this with both Alice and Hannigan's is so well done for like 99. Yeah. No, it really is – you can tell there's something a little funky in some of the shots, but honestly, it's not distracting. No, no, no. I barely even notice. I feel like this episode has like some of the best effects we've seen in the show so far. Yeah, that one transition from uh, Willow to Vamp Willow's face was really, really good. And we haven't seen a transition in a while. You can see Vamp Willow is like observing the crap out of normal Willow. And she's like, well, look at me. I'm all fuzzy. Um, She wants Willow to get her back because Anya told her that she does spells or magic. Then she licks her neck and she's like, no more. You're really starting to freak me out. This would be very freaky. Yeah, Vamp Willow's a little um, too comfortable here with regular Willow. What's going on? It's also funny because it's such a narcissist move to be into yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I think she also likes the idea, too, of having like two of them so she can turn Willow. She's like, this is great. Like, we can cover more ground. Mm -hmm. But I think she also wants Willow to want it as well. 
Like she's not just turning yeah. her. But I also feel like if she turned her, then she'd be just like that anyway. So I'd be like, if I were her, I'd be like, I'm just going to turn you. Like <laughs> you're going to be evil. It's a cat and mouse thing. It's also fun to play with her because she's got that yeah. untapped innocence. And so totally. she's like, oh, this is really fun. Yep. And then they drag her into the cage. The, apparently she found um, the gang again. And then they have that whole that whole dialogue where Willow says like, that's me as a vampire, so evil and skanky. And I think I'm kind of gay. And then <laughs> Buffy goes like, well, remember vampire's personality has something to do with the person it once was. And then w- Angel goes, well, actually, <laughs> Buffy I like how Angel's just kind of like, you know what? <laughs> I'll let this, this go. This is a topic for a different time. He's <laughs> yeah. like, it's not worth it. Buffy suggests that they switch outfits, which I feel like is a very gussy move. This whole thing is interesting because um, Passion of the Nerd talks about how Willow doesn't make a distinction between herself and Vamp Willow at this point in the episode. She says, that's me as a vampire. I'm so evil and skanky, and I think I'm kind of gay. And in in a way, it's kind of confirming Angel's statement that the personality is the same, um, mm. which I never caught that before. I was like, oh, yeah, it's not till like the end of the episode that she kind of switches and refers to the other vampire or the other doppelganger or whatever as her. Yeah, that's true. I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so outside the bronze, Willow has on the tight leather. That thing does look very tight, like especially the corset. <laughs> leather on top of like a corset as well and just it all being leather. I'm like, oof, that would be some long days having to film with that outfit, switching back and forth. I mean, haven't they like stated multiple times though that it's very cold on set a lot of times because they usually film like at night? Yeah, it probably was comfortable, except maybe when you went inside of the bronze. But I think it's funny how her costume is even like somewhat similar. It's not exactly the same as the rocker chick outfit that she wore on Halloween when she was wearing that costume she wasn't comfortable with. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, this whole idea is really important because Willow's been talking about how, you know, she wants to be a little bit edgy. She wants to experience the bad girl persona. And so this is her chance to do that. And it's important because Willow's able to prove that she is useful and can be helpful in a fight, not just to Buffy, but to herself. Um, And I think this is when she recognizes, hey, I can be assertive. Hey, I can do those things. Because if Vamp Willow can, then maybe that aspect of it is also me too. Then she like mentions like, oh gosh, look at those. And then again, Giles is like stuck in one of those uncomfortable situations. (laughs) Both Xander and Giles are like looking away. (laughs) I also just think it's funny because it's like, I think everyone forgets that like Giles is there a lot of times. Yeah. Uh Like Giles and the audience are the only two that are like, uh. Giles is like everything I have learned about you guys has been against my will. So they come up with this system where she's going to go in and try to get some vamps to come outside because they feel as though that there are way too many inside for all of them to go into, which I disagree. There's like seven <laughs> and then like five of them. Like, come on, guys. Really? <laughs> but um, and then she's like, OK, I'm going to give you a signal. And they're like, what's the signal going to be? She's like, well, when I scream, which I feel like is a is a good signal because how else are they going to hear you? Mm-hmm. Um, then Willow walks in. I, I love the distinction of what Alice and Hannigan did with like Vamp Willow and that and then like Willow and Vamp Willow outfit because she walks in you can see her like super like stiff as if she has like a wedgie because like the outfit is uncomfortable on her and everything she says sounds as if she has like a question mark at the end yeah as (laughs) as someone who has trouble like asserting themselves and (laughs) saying what they want she's like um why don't you go check and um I think maybe I heard something out there and like she's I very love not this confident. 
anytime there's a lull, she'll go and like talk to someone else be like, um, that guy's been taking a long time. How about you go outside and get him? And she like pats their so back funny. like she's trying to soften what she's, what she's doing. I know. <laughs> Literally sending them to their death. She tells Anya that she killed Willow and Anya's like, why in the world would you do that? She's our only way of getting back. And I, I can see Emma Caulfield's like way of kind of processing what Anya's like observing in the, the scenes because I can tell exactly where she's at in her processing of like if this is Vamp Willow, if this is Norma Willow the whole time. We forget that Anya is the one who orchestrated all this because she just keeps kind of like popping in. And I like I like how she's just kind of popping in to see like, okay, is my plan working out? If it's not, I'm just going to head out. Like she kind of just causes chaos and then leaves. Yeah, you could tell she's very disengaged. Like she figures out and she says it, but you could tell she doesn't really care whether Willow dies or not. I think she's just like, well, there goes all hope of me ever getting back to where I came from. Um, I don't know. She just is an interesting villain because she doesn't have a personal vendetta against these people. She literally just wants her amulet back. Yeah. She's very bitter and she just wants to go home. Gosh, this little wave that Willow does. Yeah, exactly like that. Uh, <laughs> I, wish you guys could see. I have it down to a science. Yes. It, it literally reminds me of like when you're graduating and you see like your family sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a quick little like, hey, like hope no one like no teacher yells at me. It also was like not subtle at all. So I don't know what in the world. I mean, Anya was behind her, but it definitely like, yeah. Well, she's it's in the middle of like her giving like this supposed to be menacing like monologue and she's like i don't like that you dare question me waves she bothered me so weak and accommodating and Devin like hiding behind the drums <laughs> i know <laughs> and then ani kind of like looks around because she keeps sending out other vamps and you see her like looking at the vampire and looking back at her and being like hmm this seems kind of fishy Back in the library, Vampire Willow wakes up inside the cage, and Cordelia comes in like all glam. She's like, "Wesley, are you here? Just returning a book. Happens totally to be by for books. <laughs> Her dress is like shiny and like bedazzled, it's like a cocktail dress. <laughs> and the Vampire Willow looks so freaking bored throughout this whole thing. I, this is this movie, or not movie? This episode is so painted with very different types of comedic aspects because like Cordelia comes in they're like talking whatever and then she gets over to get the the key is about to unlock her and she's like you know what I realized we never had a heart to heart women to women she's like let's talk about the ethics of boyfriend stealing and then it jumps and she's sitting in a chair and has made herself some coffee <laughs> and is still talking even though I feel like the placement of this episode is kind of odd I do like the fact that like the last few episodes have been so heavy that it is kind of nice to have a bit of a refresher. Yeah. Even though it's not technically Willow, I think it's good that Cordelia got a chance to talk about that because I think that is important for her moving on. But I just – the way that Charisma says this, she's like, what could we talk about? <laughs> hey, I know. How about the ethics of boyfriend stealing? I Okay. I wish that we – because I didn't even realize it until this scene. But I wish we had a moment of Willow and Cordy – having yeah. a reconnected moment or just like Willow apologizing because that's still her friend too. Like there was nothing between them two, like not even one interaction I can think of that was like pleasant. I don't really think we see them interact at all. Well, I um, don't know that Willow and Cordelia ever really were friends. The only thing Yes, but she's in the friend group. Yeah, I was about to say, 
I, I think the only reason Cordelia was in the friend group was because of Xander. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that they were. But she's still in the friend group. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's still shady. Like, I don't know. Like, I would apologize. Right. I definitely still think Willow should have apologized, but I don't think she should have apologized because they were friends. I think she should have just apologized because it was the right thing to do and she did something wrong. I just like, I'm like, oh, like Cordelia got to like pour her heart out and I'm sad that it wasn't like actually Willow in that situation. Yeah. I feel like that happens quite frequently. Oh, man, freaking Whedon gives us what we want, but at the wrong time and not exactly what we want. I'm like, mm-hmm. can you not do that sometimes? Like every mm-hmm. once in a while, I do want something that I actually want <laughs> without repercussions. Mm-hmm. Um, we go back to the bronze and Willow's like, hey, I don't know if I feel like killing anymore. I'm so bored. And then she walks by and her fingers get stuck in a girl's hair. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. (laughs) The comedic timing. I just cannot. Her saying I'm so bored is just interesting, too, because bored now was what, you know, the evil vamp Willow said. So I think they're trying to, like, show little parallels between the two Mm. sides of Willow. And then Anya, you can see there was, like, a click moment where she's like, wait a minute. Nice try. And then we go back into the library and Cordelia is sitting there with coffee. She's using Giles's green mug that he uses all the time too, which is the best. She oh, had really? To go like, yeah, she had to go back in his office and like get his <laughs> – it's probably tea. Oh, so funny. And I love what she says here. She's like, it's not like I was attracted to Xander. It's just that we kept being put in these life or death situations and that's always all sexy and stuff. I, I do think that obviously she was attracted to Xander. I Obviously, she wanted to date him, yada, yada, yada. But I do think there is a merit to what she's saying about the life or death situations. I really do think that that is what kept them going for longer. It's definitely what got them into the situation in the first place. I mean, they were trapped in Buffy's basement. And um, what was the other kiss? You know, then they reconnected at the end of the summer. when Yeah, and bewitched. And yeah, there's just multiple instances where – they probably would not have gone as long as they had if they Absolutely. hadn't been caught in those situations. And we saw them as a couple were a lot more toxic than healthy. I think that's pretty fair to say. And so I feel like if the relationship was only like that and they frustrated each other and if there was no like as much heat between them, I really feel like if you're being stuck in life or death situations in a toxic relationship, it makes you kind of disguise the passion with just like, I find them so sexy right now because I thought I was going to die. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can, having passion for somebody is way different than the latter. Yeah. Um, and then she opens up the cage and Vamp Willow gets out. And they she starts chasing her into a classroom and she's like barricading herself with the desks. She's like, I didn't mean all that I said before. You can have Cinder. My blessings on you both. My blessings <laughs> on you both. <laughs> I just I like to imagine Alexis Denisoff and Allison Hannigan watching this episode like, you know, 25 uh-huh. years later and they're, you know, married with their two girls and like, look, guys, this is where mommy and daddy met. And this is the moment that mommy realized she had a massive crush on daddy when he would to her. So <laughs> funny. Well, because he's walking and then he hears a scream and he just completely jumps oh and drops gosh. his briefcase. Alexis Denisoff's <laughs> comedic timing is just absolutely fantastic. He runs into the bathroom with a cross and holy water and she's like, whatever. He's such – I love how like 
even like Bambolo's like he's not even worth it. Like he's not even <laughs> worth the time. Like he's such a weenie that like everyone is just kind of like, okay, sure, Wesley. Well then like, after whatever. he saves Cordelia, Cordelia scares him. Yeah, right. And he's like, sorry, you know, men in combat, like trying to justify <laughs> why he's jumpy. Um, and then back at the bronze, Anya saying that the vamp should eat Willow because she doesn't think Willow's actually Vamp Willow. Um, Oz slowly sneaks up behind her, which is such a like good detail because he's very like in tuned. He's like realizing, obviously, he's realized for a while that this is actually Willow, and he can sense that things are gonna kind of go crazy. So he's like slowly like walking up behind her as like a support. He's gonna protect her, mm-hmm. and you notice how even when Willow is doing and saying all this stuff, I I watched Oz for most of it because I was curious to see how he would react to like when she screams and then she's like, um, could a human do this? And they're like, oh yeah, I say a human could do that. And you know, all that stuff. <laughs> I was curious if Oz would crack up or whatever. He doesn't take his eyes off of Willow because yeah. he's ready for one of them to pounce. And I was like, oh my gosh, uh-huh. so hot. <laughs> um, and then everyone comes in and I, okay. The choreography of this fight scene, I was it's looking really at good. it. So good. It's super intense. I feel mm-hmm. like it's to a level of intensity we haven't seen in a while. Yeah. There's just something about when they whenever they have Angel and Buffy fighting side by side. I feel like I don't know if it's because they have Jeff and Sophia who are an actual couple fighting and doing a lot yeah, of Yeah, it's very dynamic. And I think that chemistry You can translates. see the chemistry, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why it gets ramped up. But oh my goodness. I also think because they're a married couple, they have this trust. And yeah. so they're not like I, I I would assume they're not spending the whole time being like, oh, shoot, like, you know, is this going to work or, you know, I, I'm not trying to scare the other person. I feel like they both know each other well enough to be like, oh, OK, if he does something, I trust him not to hurt me. But also mm-hmm. they I think they go a little bit harder because there's that whole comp- competition, competitive side. Yeah, it's really good. I love how intense it is. Mm-hmm. It's very similar I feel like the energy is very similar to what happened at the end of Bad Girls when they were fighting um, Balthazar's people. That's a good point. I'd never thought about the fact that they're like a married couple, which because like anytime they fight together, it's like my eyes are glued to both Angel and Buffy. I just keep thinking of like becoming part two, but like there's so many other situations where I'm like, it's just dynamic. True. That's true. A lot of my favorite scenes are them fighting each other or fighting with each other. Um. <clears throat> Willow punches Anya and immediately her hand hurts. And then Oz like drags her up the stage. MVP yeah. of this episode. Um, Devin's trying to climb up the sunroof. <laughs> he's because he's trying to do what he saw Angel doing. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna work for you, bud. Sorry. Oh gosh. And then Vamp Willow punches out both Oz and Devin, and they both fall over. Um, and then she does the same with Willow. Xander takes a vamp. I was like, good for Xander. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone kind of gets a moment. Did you guys yeah. see Giles and Xander trying to trying to stake that vamp? And then Giles at one point like does the most dramatic staking I've ever seen. He like lifts it and arches his back and just like comes down. I was dying. I rewound or rewound it and made Andrew watch because I was cracking. He's up. been out of the game too long. <laughs> yeah. Vampire Willow's like choking Willow out. This is a long choking. I really feel like she would have passed out by now. Buffy sees Vamp Willow choking Willow from across the bronze, and she has to, like, sprint all the way over there. Right as Buffy's about to stake Vamp Willow, Willow calls out and asks her not to. Vamp Willow says, this world's no fun. And Willow says, you notice that too? I love that interaction. 
you can kind of tell that they're like kind of blending a little bit. Like they're not like like polar opposites. I think that they're two sides of a coin. So like one side is obviously void of like all humanity, but you know, they're still able to feel emotion. So I feel like this moment, like they're both feeling the same thing, but their vices and how they act out is completely different. Multiple people have pointed out that Buffy was able to stop herself unlike Faith in Bad Girls. Um, And Willis is the exact same thing that Buffy says to Faith. Um, But it's also interesting to note that Buffy's saying, well, I work out at the – like in in like a couple – minutes later when Willow says nice reflexes and stuff. It is a clever line, but it also could show that Buffy took Faith's mistake to heart and has been actively working on herself and her reflexes to make sure she doesn't fall for the same thing. Um, because it's shown from the beginning of the episode, like Buffy keeps talking about how like she doesn't want Faith to one up her in the evaluations and stuff. But I think there's also a level of Buffy doesn't want to fall into the same trap that Faith did and is trying to make sure she never ends up there, which I kind of like both interpretations. Um, let me go to the warehouse question mark. The one that's supposed to be in both parallel universes that yeah, we've never see, seen I before. I don't know where that is. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's it looks funny. exactly the same. I've been kind of confused about that, but I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's like a flawless episode. We can let that one go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Xander asks if people are afraid of the Xander and her world, and she just looks at him and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm bad." And Angel's <laughs> back there, wrong. like, "Oh come on, buddy, being a why. vampire is not all it's cracked up to be here." Buffy isn't sure about releasing her into the wild, um, but Will says that she can't kill her. I, what do you guys think about this? Where would you fall in the spectrum of this? If you had a doppelganger like killing vampire, would you want to kill her? I'd kill him. It's yeah. Vampire. It would be hard because it's like you, you see yourself, but she's still a vampire and she's still killing people. Killing people, yeah. Like, and it's not exactly like it's me. Like, I died the minute I became a vampire. Well, Willow says, like, in her world, she can stand a chance. But, like, what chance does she have? She's a vampire. Does that also mean hurting innocent people, too? Like, there's a lot there. What do you mean? Like, if they send her back saying she has a chance to live, does that mean that yeah. she's going to hurt innocent people, you know? Right. Um, someone mentioned that... Giles has an understanding of the temporal fold because he knew like what they had to do to reverse the spell. Um, so there's a chance that Giles knew sending this vamp Willow back was she was just going to die anyway. Because the idea is that he had to have asked Anya about it, um, and so that's why he's willing to allow it. But it does feel like something – I think Buffy's doing it because it's what Willow wants. But I think if Buffy was the one making the call, I think she would have staked Vamp Willow with no remorse and would not have let her go back. But I do think this conversation here – and she says, there but for the grace of getting bit, we sent her to her world. She has a chance. It's the way it should be anyway. Buffy's definitely thinking of faith. And I think that's the underlying message here is mm-hmm. Willow is unwilling to kill – Vamp Willow, just the same as Buffy is unwilling to put harsher consequences on Faith because she sees a bit of herself. And so I think that's why they didn't just kill Vamp Willow. Um, And I think through it, Willow's able to understand Buffy a little bit better now as well as herself. And she's learning to accept herself for who she is. That's true. Um, Anya kind of has this like, like when I get my powers back, you'll all grovel before me. (laughs) You'll all pay. Poor Anya has become such a joke. I know. <laughs> I was like, oh, bad, okay, right? Anya. <laughs> like, good old Anyanka, just acting out as usual. 
Uh, and then they send her back. It's like the, at the very end of the wish. Did they have to go back and like redo all of this? No, they just had to do the part where um, Oz uh, stakes Willow because it's clearly somebody with a wig. It might might be Seth Green. It might not be, but it's different hair. Oh, really? Well, because Seth Green has dark hair now. Oh, he had red hair yeah. in that episode. You're right. Like, yeah, he did. Blonde, yeah. So we're back outside school in the grassy area, and then Willow goes back to her normal self, and she's like feeling guilty about all her responsibilities. <laughs> and then she's like, you know, I'm just going to, you know, do all my homework, go to bed early, die a virgin. Well, Willow's saying, you know, I see where the path of vice leads. She messed up everything she touched. I don't ever want to be like that. Again, that's mm. very similar to Faith and Buffy in Bad Girls and Consequences. Well, then Buffy – or not Buffy, but Willow mentions like how she feels extra guilty for both herself and Vampire Willow because she feels like she's tied with that, which is how Buffy's feeling right now with Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Percy comes up. <laughs> He's like, oh, so I, I did the outline um, on Roosevelt, but I realized I didn't know which Roosevelt we were talking about. So I did it on both of them. And he hands her like different like folders. He hands her like one yeah. folder for an outline, you know another folder for another outline. The most, it's probably the most shoddy work ever because uh-huh. he's just frantic and scared doing it. <laughs> He's like, I know they're kind of short, but I can flesh them out. And, and here's the bibliography. He hands her another one. And I can retype that if you want. Just let me know what I did wrong and I'll get on it. And he walks away, but then realizes he forgot something, turns around, and puts an apple on her lap. I know. <laughs> He's like, wow, who Willow is after school hours is someone completely different Very from Willow different. at school. He's like, no wonder why they hired her as a tutor. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's like, her method is definitely um unorthodox, but it's working. It's effective. And then Buffy goes, you want to go out tonight? She's like, nine sound good. And the episode goes black. I think one of my favorite things about this episode is that I think it's good as a reminder for us girls in particular, it's good for us to remember to assert ourselves. Obviously, the methodology in which Vampire Will is asserting herself do not condone 100%. Um, But I think Willow learned that she needed to stick up for herself a little bit and that she can't let people walk all over her and that she needs to not find her identity and how she can help people and fix things. And so, I don't know, I my takeaway from this whole thing was like, because I tend to be not great about asserting myself, is that like, it's good to say no. Like, no is a complete sentence. But I think Willow learned to be a little bit more assertive. And I'm kind of excited to see where she goes from that. What a good episode. One of my favorites is season three. All right, guys, that was Doppelgangland. That was an excellent episode that I really enjoyed talking about, not just from like a deeper perspective, but just because it's so fun. So let us know what you guys think. Do you guys love Doppelgangland? Um, is it one of your favorite episodes? You can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And stick around, guys, because the spoiler section is right after this. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are talking about the spoiler section of Doppelgangland. So as we ease further into season three, I feel like we're going to have less and less to talk about spoilers-wise because we don't want to talk too much about what we're going to experience in graduation day and prom and all that other stuff. But there are a few things um, to be talking about in this episode. Mainly, Anya is back and we meet DeHoffren for the first time. 
which I always love because I feel like Dahafran is he's not necessarily a major character, but I feel like he's one of the bigger, minor reoccurring characters. Um, and then every time he shows up, something big is going to happen in that episode. Yeah, it's just it's crazy to watch this episode and see what happens after this, like with Tahafran, with Anya, and like all this stuff. And I think as as frustrating as Anya's character becomes to me in season seven, I will say it's consistent. I just kind of wish that they had given her growth a little bit. Um, so uh, the couple things about Anya and Tahafran in in particular, um, in uh something blue, we see Tahafran again. And Anya actually brings everyone to this mausoleum that we see her in right now with Da Hoffman in this episode um, to find him because he's the one that approaches Willow about becoming a vengeance demon in that episode, which I like absolutely love because I think Willow would have made a fantastic vengeance demon if that's what she had chosen to do. I'm really glad she didn't. <laughs> I always forget that that's a storyline or like that that's like a scene. And I love that that's in there because I think I also just think it kind of brings Willow down like wow the thing that I've judged other people for doing I could be doing like it's just like one of those things where it's like she had so much like rage in her and was kind of okay with taking it out that like even the person who was like recruiting vengeance demons was like we want you yeah like that's insane could you guys imagine if they – instead of doing like the Dark Willow storyline arc in the sense that like she uses magic uh, – it's like an addiction and all that stuff. She used it to kind of soup herself up. If she in such a rage she had called on Dahafran and said, hey, I want to become a vengeance demon now. And then that, that whole would, Dark Willow persona had been a vengeance well, demon Well, that thing. would have been – there's no way they would have been able to come back from that one. And here's why. It's because they can kind of excuse the whole uh, magic thing because mm. it's because it's addiction and like in a um mystical sense, addiction is like a disease. It's something that is extremely hard to break out of. Yes, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for, sure. Um, but I think if it was out of her own free will to go to somebody and to choose to be a um, vengeance demon, I feel like we would have had a very different Willow and a very different outcome out of her quote unquote dark Willow stage. I really feel like it would really be hard to come out of that because it's hard because it's different than Willow choosing to be a vengeance demon and Anya falling back on that because that's what Anya knows. And she was in um, a place of feeling very dark and feeling very lonely and so she fell back on that but she also i mean this is a spoiler section i was like oh no i can't say that um <laughs> no but like with with anya it was like that's what she was doing for a thousand years and that's what she fell back on but also like she didn't kill anyone for a while she felt bad about it and then when she did she took it all back and so i think there's a bit of a difference if willow chose to do that and willow fought on the good side for years and years and years i think it's very different for her to to do that yeah i agree that it would have been very different i don't know that it would have been impossible to have her come back and i don't know if we talked about it on here but my thing with the dark willow arc is i feel like it didn't go as hard as it could have. And I know that sounds I super wanted more. No, I agree. I, wanted I agree. More. I agree. I agree. Here's the thing. Her, that episode where she kills uh, Morn, I'm like, yes, 
finally <laughs> rip his skin off. Not only did I want Warren to die, but also I, like, I didn't even bat an I was like, sure, girl. Been, you and I, was like, I was like, woo! Go on, queen. <laughs> I feel like, honestly, as much as this sounds awful, I feel like Willow should have killed Jonathan. No, only because like no, I love Jonathan, and that's it's why she should kill him. But I think that people <laughs> go darker, over yeah. overlook the fact that Willow killed someone because it's Warren. Yeah, yeah, or and Andrew. I think no, no, no. Keep Andrew because Andrew, Andrew's whole arc and everything is amazing. But I feel like Jonathan dying with Warren, or like right after Warren, like in the same episode or whatever, or in the next episode, would have been a jarring because he's someone who's been in the season. All season, like all show long, and he's really is a victim. Like he's done bad things, but he really is a victim of his circumstances. And so to see Willow kill someone who isn't evil, that would actually be like a, oh, she crossed a line. Because it escalates so fast from like killing mm-hmm. one person to like, I'm going to overtake the world. And it felt like a little gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas if I feel like if it was like a, she killed Warren, and then the next episode, she killed Jonathan, and then went to kill the world. I would have been like, whoa. Like, that would have felt like a more natural escalation to me. But I feel like they didn't want to go too dark because they were afraid to bring her back from that. But I feel like people are so – like, people forget. Like, by the time she comes back – I've heard before when she comes back in season seven that people were like – she like they were like, she didn't even really do many things wrong. I'm like – Guys, she killed someone. Like, yes, it was Warren, but like she killed someone. Because the whole like, I'm gonna kill the world type thing is so gimmicky to me. Yeah, I think I think it who was it that I was listening to? Um, oh, it was Slay Girl, it was Rob. Um, you guys should listen to his YouTube channel, by the way. It's um really, Oh, he has really a YouTube channel now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's him. been doing it's really good. Um, it's uh, I think VHS Graveyard is what it's called. So shout out to Rob. Um, but it's really good because he's been going through um each of the episodes. I think he started in season six and is doing season six and seven. He was talking about totally why season six is so different um, and why it's darker. And his stance, he's actually a screenwriter. So he said from his perspective, he doesn't feel like season six is as well written. And it's not because it's darker material. It's just genuinely not as well written. Um, and he uses like the dark will of speech as an example, especially after she gets all juiced up from Giles. He talks about how her whole thing was started because Tara died. It starts out because of grief. And then all of a sudden it shifts to, oh, I have to go kill the whole world and he's like, okay, so what are we supposed to be feeling here? Is it supposed mm. to be grief or is it supposed to be anger? Is it supposed to be vengeance? Is it supposed to be – like? and obviously we can feel all those things and I feel like I'm not doing him uh, justice in talking about this. But he, um, he just – he made a really good point about how – it's very hard for us to resonate with what exactly Willow's feeling in that moment um, because why does she want to go kill the whole world after seeing her girlfriend That's die? That's always you know? how I felt. I always wish that instead of like the whole world, which I love the crayon speech. However, yeah, I feel oh, like great. it could have been great. done. I feel like what could have happened is instead of doing the whole world, she could just be like, okay, I'm going to target like 
like all criminals or something like that where it's like something more nuanced something more nuanced and it's still kind of in the realm of like everyone who's hurt someone the way i've been hurt is going to be like this which is why i think a vengeance gig would be really good maybe like instead of killing all men i'm gonna go kill all of like she comes back to kindy hoffron with a counter offer of i'm not gonna go like i'm gonna be a specific kind of vengeance demon Mm. you know what i mean i don't think she needed to be a vengeance demon i feel like she still could have set up a big like spell and there still could have been that speech with with xander but i feel like it could have been way more impactful if it was like she was like i'm only targeting these amount of people but it's still going to be a huge amount of people yeah i just like the whole world was like okay like what did the world do to you (laughs) like um egged on by the fact that uh andrew and jonathan are being protected which would have been cool because yeah. she's like, why are you protecting these people that like helped in so many criminal things? Which is true. Like Jonathan and Andrew are not perfect human beings, even though I love Jonathan, like especially in high school, Jonathan, I really feel for him. He does do a lot. He He's very, um, what's the word? Like compliant? Yeah. And a yeah. lot of stuff that he's happens. Yes, he feels guilty once like once um, the girlfriend says the actual word. Katrina, right? yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then he's like, oh, shoot. Like, But it's like you, you literally stole a woman and you're erasing her will. Like, And then yeah. she says the word and you're like, oh. That would have been an interesting storyline. I never thought about that, you guys. Like that's so true because it's like why are you wanting to kill the whole world? Um, mm-hmm. But it would have been cool if she was like, why are they protecting these people who are – who have done very wrong things? Like mm-hmm. I'm just going to eradicate all of that. That would have been awesome. Yeah, and then it would have also created a more of a um, gray layer to Dark Willow because they went so full on with the super villain, bad, bad, yeah, bad. true. And it would have been so much cooler if Willow had been over there like Buffy, like if she challenged Buffy and said, Buffy, you think you're all powerful and she brought up the rhetoric that even like um, Joyce has talked about that even uh, – who, well, who's the other villain that's talked about? I think it's the – mayor or glory someone's brought up to buffy that like you're just one girl what all you like you're not able to do much you weren't able to stop tara's death you can't even stop the humans so i'm gonna do something that you can't do and i'm like in in a way still challenging buffy yeah but it's not in a like i'm gonna go to kill the world blah 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 it's like no it's like a i'm angry that no one stopped what happened to my girlfriend, so I'm going to make sure that never happens to anyone else. Right, and I could see, I can see how they wrote it as it was supposed to be Willow being kind of like, "Oh, everyone's suffering, everyone's feeling so much pain. I don't want them to feel the pain that I have felt, so I'm going to go kill them." But there was no like g- gentle transition. It was just all of a sudden she went from so much rage to, "Oh, there's pain, so I'm just going to destroy the world." Um, and I feel like we could have spread that out through a couple episodes, or done something different, or gone in a completely different direction i don't know that we'll get we'll talk about when we get there whoo this took a turn but um yeah i just think it's just very interesting that we see de hoffren recognizing that there is something in willow that would make a great vengeance demon and that later goes to um dark willow um also xander has a type (laughs) which i think is hilarious we already knew he did but that just makes it even funnier um, okay, and then since we're talking kind of about um, De Hoffren and Willow and all that stuff, it's um, I love that we have board now in this episode because that is 100% what Dark Willow says before she kills Warren in season six, the whole board now thing. And that lends credence to what Angel is saying in this episode about how um, your vampire side isn't completely 
100% different from who you are as a human, that it still takes aspects and attributes and personality characteristics and traits from who you were and kind of absorbs that with the demon that inhabits your body. And so I think that by tying together those phrases of board now between vamp willow and dark willow, it shows that um, willows always had those capabilities, um, which I think is very interesting. Okay, so a couple of things. Like we talked, I think it was Leo, Leah, who talked a little bit about how um, you felt like Anya's written a little bit inconsistently. And I I agree because Dahafran specifically references later on in the seasons about how Anya was his favorite. But here he's like willing to drop her like she's hot. And he's like, you know, I'm not going to give you a chance and stuff. And it's like if Anya was so good at her job for thousands of years, why would he be like, eh, I'll just go get another one? You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense to me. I was about to say, unless she had been kind of like screwing up a lot and this was his last job. (laughs) (laughs) I can see that. I mean, I don't know. The way that Anya was talking about it, she's like, for a thousand years, I wielded the power of the wish. Like, it just makes it seem like this is the first time that she's messed up. I don't know. It just is kind of funky, but whatever. It's such a small, minor thing. Um, also, another fun fact about this episode, this is the 50th episode of the series. Um, David Boreanaz, Charisma Carpenter, and Alexis Denisoff are all going to appear on the 50th episode of Angel, and that's the episode Billy with that really creepy guy talks about misogyny and stuff. Um, okay. And then I think I know what you're going to say about this tabs, but, um, Willow and Anya never fully like each other and that will be explored more in triangle. And we kind of see the beginnings of that in this episode and it's never really fully said why they don't like each other. And I mean, I have my suspicions. I always thought that they didn't like each other because Anya didn't like Willow because she knows that Willow and Xander had a thing. And I, I think it's just she's kind of not necessarily jealous, but I think she's very wary of their relationship. Sure. Um, and then I think that Willow just doesn't like Anya because they didn't have a good first impression. And she ultimately always views her as a vengeance demon and as temporary in Sender's life. I disagree. I don't think that Anya thinks that about Willow because if she did, that'd be dumb. Like Willow is literally like in multiple relationships with women. Um, I think it's just like one of those things. Here you go. I just, <laughs> I, okay. I, I know we've talked about this. We really don't need to go on another tangent. I just like sometimes I get really frustrated with the women relationships in the show. And if it's a feminist show, why are we having so much random weird male energy between two girls? Like, like you're not sizing up your dicks next to each other. Can we just be like nice? Like it's, but it's a feminist show. Like I'm like, you know what I mean? Like it's actually one of those things that really bugs me about the show. Um, I don't know it. And especially like Anya, like I, I do like Anya and I, here's a, there are times where I get why Willow would be frustrated and or annoyed with Anya I totally understand it like a good example would be the body it's like when she's saying things and she doesn't understand what how could that could be hurtful how that could be insensitive and and she doesn't process she processes things differently I understand from Will's perspective how that could seem very like frustrating it's just it's one of those things that uh, looking back is a huge fault of the show for being a feminist show and a lot of the girls just don't really get along it's like usually like one pair of the girls get along and then 
they don't get along with the others as much or we have zero screen time with them. And all the guys are fine and dandy. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because um, a book came out this week. Well, this week, our time. By the time this comes out, it'll be a couple weeks. But um, it's by Evan Ross Katz. It's called Into Every Generation. And um, he it's to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Buffy. And he actually includes – like he includes his own analysis of the show. But he talks a lot about this topic in particular. He talks about Joss. He interviews Sarah Michelle Gellar heavily for this book, which is really, really cool. Really? Um, yeah. It, you guys should check it out. It's very good. Um, Danny Strong talks about this, the guy, the actor who played um, Jonathan. And he has one quote in particular. Um, I don't have it on hand with me and I will find it for you guys. But he talks specifically about how he believes that um, a lot of Joss's issues and stuff come from the fact that he has issues with power, ironically, and he and like Joss himself has been quoted saying how like he thought he was like smarter than the pretty girls in his class, than his um, film classes that he took, and how he would um, intentionally and purposely sleep with pretty girls and then break their hearts because it gave him a semblance of power over them. And how on set there was like Charisma's talked about this. I think Sarah's talked about this. A couple other people have, but Joss was very cliquish and he would purposely pit girls against each other behind the scenes on set because they gave him some sick sense of twisted pleasure because I think there was this idea that he was – bitter and angry about the fact that, you know, girls didn't give him the time of day when he was younger or whatever reason it was, no excuse, whatever the reason is. Um, and Danny like really kind of pinpoints this. I do need to find that quote. Um, and talks about how he goes, you really saw the actresses being pitted against each other. And I think that translates to on screen, how the writers are writing the relationships on there. You don't really, as the show goes on and as the relationships became more frayed in real life, you start to see that reflected in even the way the characters are written and stuff. Um, And I mean, I think in the earlier seasons, that is Cordelia's character because Justin like Cordelia. But as time goes on, you're starting to watch all of the females not really getting along on screen with the exception of Willow and Tara. Um, and I mean, I've talked before about how I think there are some like really good moments between Dawn and Willow, Dawn and Buffy, you know, things like that. But um, yeah, there's just like, it, there's always this like underhanded way of writing these female characters. And I really think that stems back to Joss just being absolutely vindictive and petty and an incel. <laughs> Um, I totally see that. It sucks that we had Joss, and I know that he is like a genius when it comes to these things. A lot of the writing, a lot of how the show went is due to him, so I'm going to take that away. But just hearing about these things makes me really angry for the type of show that he is making because I'm like, what's the point of making a feminist show if you're not going to do it? the way it's supposed to be done or just treat people equally behind the screen. Like it's just like you're putting off these like um, themes and ideas and storylines that really helped people like me growing up watching it. And then knowing that that didn't happen behind the scenes, it really makes me angry. Um, And I'm sure that like, it's been, I I mean, I don't want to project, but like I'm maybe it was a lot, very hard for a lot of these actors, like after the show to like, kind of like, maintain like a healthy idea of that person because i get it if you're in like a toxic environment it's hard to see every person in that situation fairly and to see them like 
as for who they are as someone who's a victim of that as well. Um, but I really feel like recently a lot of these actors have like rekindled because of stuff that's happened with Joss Whedon Mm -hmm. and that has made me really happy. So, um, but you know, at what cost they had to go through years of a toxic environment and abuse in a lot of ways. So there's a huge section of the book that actually talks about, um, we've talked about Cynthia Bergstrom and I don't know if I've talked about it on here, but I did know about how, um, Sarah and Cynthia actually fought really hard for the Buffy bots um, outfit to be not quite as sexual. Um, there's a quote that like Cynthia Bergstrom actually talks quite a bit in her in the book. Um, and one of the things that she talked about was um, she actually quit in season six. She did was not the costume designer in season seven because she felt like it was just getting so dark and it wasn't enjoyable to her anymore. And when she met with Joss to hand in her resignation, he told her, I'm surprised you lasted this long. I was going to fire you anyway because you're too close to Sarah. Hello? Yeah. Oh. Too close to the actress? Well, okay. So apparently she always was stuck between Joss and Sarah because Joss would want to do something and Sarah be like, no, I don't think that's how Buffy would dress. I think Buffy needs to do this or whatever. But Cynthia would usually stick with Sarah because she felt like her loyalties were always with Sarah and things kind of got bad between them. Um, She also confirmed that Joss and Sarah didn't have the best relationship since early on in the show. Um, Shocker. She talks about how Joss would get really angry with Sarah and the things that she would ask for. And there is one time where he, like with the Buffy bot incident, he did grab Cynthia's arm really hard um, in anger. And this is all something that Joss actually talks, like was a like the interviewer asked Joss about this in his interview back in January or whenever that came out. And Joss was like, oh, I never remember doing that or whatever. Of course you um, do. Yeah. But Cynthia, you know – was very conflicted in talking about this stuff because she didn't want to let the fandom down. But it's just very, very problematic that even with things like that behind the scenes, Joss had to have so much control to the point where he literally was um, pitting women against each other, even behind the scenes. And so like that reflects in the characters themselves, how there's women constantly against each other. Um, and it's just, it's really, really sad. Um, I know um, Emma Caulfield in the book uh, wrote about how she, when everything came out about Joss in 2018, her first thought was, finally, she's like, I can't believe like people haven't seen all this stuff beforehand. And yeah, it's just really sad. Really, mm-hmm. really sad. So the last thing I have is the girl that Willow kills in this episode, the one that she like pulls from the table as Vamp Willow and pulls into the center of the room and like bites as kind of a show. Um, her the character's name is actually Sandy, and she shows up again as a vampire in Family, and then again in Shadow. Um, so even though we don't see it on screen, the implication I think is. Um, either they either they brought back the same actress or they intentionally were like, hey, let's have Vamp Willow sire someone. Um, and the last time we see her is actually in Shadow, and she's the first vampire that Riley cheats on Buffy with that whole convoluted metaphor. Um, he lets her feed on him and then he kills her and stakes her in the chest. So little fun fact for you all. I think I knew that. Cause when I saw her, I was like, Oh yeah, that's the chick that that feeds on Riley. Oh, that episode. 
<laughs> Season five is so good, and that no, episode no, just makes it's me so not, mad. It's not an episode; it's multiple episodes. I'm talking about the specific episode where, like, he leaves and like he gaslights the frick out of her, and then and then like Xander gives her a whole speech of saying what like what did he really say i have no idea like supposed to be inspirational and I'm it's confused. not that episode it's not that episode it's the episode where it's shadow it's the one no where- i know i know i'm just saying that i thought of like the episode of when oh, she finds woods. out and then like yeah yeah Ugh. yep 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 Riley, Riley. what's his last name do we know oh finn Riley, yep, finn. Riley finn yeah I'm ready to freaking shout on Ryan, honestly. <laughs> we have, like, objectivity. No, Forget I mean, that. I, I will be objective, but I also, like, the first time I watched him, I was objective. Like, I had no prior, like, anything, and I just watched him, and I hated him. I think you just hated him because he was an angel. No. No, I didn't. Literally, when he was first introduced, I was like, oh, he's fine. Like, whatever. But then he just started getting so annoying. We'll see. We'll see. I'm excited to talk about it. But all right, guys, that is the spoilers for Doppelgangland. Um, that was actually really fun. I t- thought we talked about some really good stuff. Next week, we will have enemies and our brother Dave will be back. You all love it when he's there. We love it when he's there. The energy is always so good. It's going to be fun. So yeah, um, let us know your guys' thoughts of this episode. Let us know if you guys think that Vengeance Willow would have been really interesting or at the very least better than what we ended up getting. Um, you guys can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at becomingbuffypodcast. Definitely talk to us. Let us know. Don't forget to review and rate and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. But as always, guys, have a great week, and we will talk to you next